slide. There we go. All right, everybody, we're continuing in our study of Hebrews entitled, uh, the message series is entitled Jesus, and we're in our seventh week. We're in chapter 10, so we just have probably, you know, maybe three more weeks to go. And as we go through this, one of the things that we're going to end up talking about is our inheritance. But before you can have an inheritance, you've got to be a Christian, okay? Uh, Otherwise, your inheritance is uh, the lake of fire, and that's not something you want to be inheriting. But our inheritance uh, will factor, but we have to be Christians. We have to be saved. And in this world today, in the life that uh, people are living today, we have really confused what being a Christian is with going to church or with confessing, uh, you know, that we are a Christian, saying that we are a Christian and doing good things. And so, therefore, we must be a Christian if we do good things, which is totally wrong. You can be a sinner and you could do good things too. Nobody stops you from doing good things. Uh, you could do that. But we're starting our reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. You want to click that over there until my remote catches up with us. And it says, Let us firmly hold the profession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So let's stop right here a second. It says, Let us hold the profession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the profession of our faith is that we have made a statement that we love the Lord, We made a statement that we believe in Jesus, that we believe in the Lord, and that we want to serve him. And so he says, let us, that statement that we have made, let's do it without wavering because he is faithful. And so what we have to do is look at the context. Remember, know the context so you're not conned by the text. Look at the context. This, uh, these scriptures are written to believers, but they are believers, they are Jews in Jerusalem, okay? They're going through persecution. See, they were going through a double persecution because you had persecution by the Romans, but most, but even more importantly, you had persecution by the religious people of the day, the religious leaders of the day, the religious Jews of the day were persecuting them. And so he says, firmly hold on to what you have said. Firmly hold on to your salvation. Firmly hold on to the things that uh, God has already spoken to your life and the things that you already know. Because as I've said, I believe Paul wrote this book. Paul had already talked about Jesus. Paul had already been a part of what had happened on the road to Damascus. Remember when his eyes were blinded and he had to go and Ananias came three days later and put his hands on his eyes and said, brother, brother, Paul, brother Saul, whichever one you want to call him, he says, you know, uh, you're, you know, you can see now. He had made a commitment for Christ. And Paul went through a lot of the same persecution as, uh, as they were going through because of who he was as a Jew. Not only because of who he was as a Jew, because he was a leader of the Jews. If you remember the story in Acts, the Bible says that when Stephen, the first martyr, for Christ, the first one recorded in the, in the scriptures who gave up his life because he was a Christian, that Saul, or who we call Paul now, was standing there where they laid the coats of, of, of Stephen down as they or laid the coats of the people who were stoning him, laid their coats down. 
Paul was standing right there. So Paul had already seen the persecution, had participated in the persecution. He went around hunting down non or hunting down believers in the way. Okay, that's what they called it. Believers in the way, because Jesus says, I am the way. Uh, to to eternal life. So he was hunting them down. He was finding them, and he was rooting them out. But then he changed, and he converted on the road to Damascus. And he was that he was that apostle that took the place of Judas. He was he just came after his time. He says, "I I, I was a little bit late, you know." I just came a little bit late to the party. But Paul came a little bit late to the party, but when he came, he made that profession, and he never looked back. He never turned around. Because why? Because he saw that the faith that he had, the understanding that he had was rooted in facts, was rooted in Scripture, and understanding that he made a decision. When you begin to, when you begin to doubt that God is real, you need to go back, number one, go back and look at the Scriptures, look at the facts that are in the Scriptures. But number two, go back and look what God has done in your life. When you go through hard times, go back and look when God has brought you through another hard time and say, He can do it again. He can bring me through that hard time again because He is faithful. That's what He says, for He who is promised, who promises faithful. He said that I will take care of you. He said that I will hold on to you. He said that I will love you. He says that no one can take you out of my hands. No one can pull you away from the love of God. Not depth, nor height. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So Hebrews, and then we move on to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Moving on to verse 24 there, it says, and let us consider how to spur one another to love and good works. Let me ask you a question here. Uh, Don't raise your hand, but you've probably been asked before, are you saved? But the next question is just as equally important. Are you doing, what are you doing with your salvation? What are you doing with what God has done in your life? You see, salvation in Jesus is not, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit still. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that we're supposed to continue to work. We're supposed to keep our hand to the plow, and and we're supposed to keep on going forward, not looking back, not looking at what's behind us, but going forward. We're supposed to be working for Christ while we're here on this earth. So the question that you want to ask yourself is, okay, I'm saved. What am I doing? What am I doing with my salvation? What am I doing? And, and listen, there's a, we could go through all, we could spend all day talking about what you can do with your salvation. But I want to say this, if you are sincere and you begin to ask the Lord, you say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this salvation that you've given me? What do you want to do in, what do you want to do in my life and how do you want to accomplish that while I'm here on earth? Let me tell you something, if you do that with sincerity, the Lord will give you an answer. But you want to know something? Many people don't ask that question because they're afraid of the answer. They're afraid of the answer. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go to Africa. Whoa, God, I didn't know. That's not what I was talking about. You know, we're afraid of the answer. And I would say that I don't think that the vast majority of us are going to get called to the mission field. But let me tell you something. When we live out what God has called us to do, we are more fulfilled than we've ever been. See, the, the uh, external, the material things that we have should not satisfy us. The material things we have should not complete us. Just because you got a new 75-inch 
ultra high definition, uh, ultra, ultra high definition, 8,000K television, that shouldn't fulfill you. Just because you got the new iPhone shouldn't fulfill you. Just because you got the, the newest Chevy pickup truck shouldn't fulfill you. What should fulfill you is that you're walking in the will of God that he has for your life, and you're affecting people for eternity in the kingdom of God. And so he says, let us consider how to spur one another to love and good works. We need to be spurring each other to love and good works. What what is spurs? What is spurs? Spurs are what cowboys use, right? Cowgirls use. They put them on. They put them on their boots, and then when they kick with their heel or touch, a good cowboy doesn't kick. When they touch them with their heel, the the horse knows what to do when they're touched with that spur. So you don't have to. It's not about kicking them. All right. Lord didn't say kick each other to, you know, that's not what it is. He says spur them on. So a, a good horse that's trained well, who knows when you begin to spur, when that spur begins to get in their side. See, some of them are, are, uh, have a little uh, kind of a star. Some of them are rounded and don't have anything. They're just metal. It's just something to touch. But when they feel that in the certain part of their body, it makes them do certain things. So, so some horses, you can, you can uh, use your spurs up on their shoulders because you're wanting them to do certain things. When you train them correctly, it's just touching them. So what we what is a spur for? It's something to make us go. So he's saying spur each other, tap each other, talk to each other, find ways of getting each other to go do things. When he says to, to love and to good works, remember there's only one that is good, and that's the Father. So good works he is referring to is doing the work of the Father. So spurring, spurring each other on to doing the work of the Father. He says, consider how we can do this. Think about how can we spur each other on to that. Now, that takes us to this next scripture, verse 25 here. And it says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. You got that? Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. So in that time, they're going through extreme persecution. They couldn't meet in a building like this. As a matter of fact, think about this, that it would be uh, 250 years approximately later before the first church building really was built, okay? So 300 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected before the first church building was built. And a lot of that is because they were under extreme persecution and they couldn't meet here, just like it is in China and in Hong, uh, not in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is different, in China and in um, North Korea and in some African countries where they can't meet together. Vietnamese, many Vietnamese, uh, Cambodia, some of those places cannot meet together like this. Okay, so they were going through extreme persecution, not only from Romans, but also from Jews. They were being put to death one way or the other, and so they couldn't do that for for a lot of time, for a long time. But he says to them, hey, don't forsake getting together. Don't forsake assembling together. See, before this, the Jews, they assembled when? On Sabbath, once a week, which is our Saturday. We, We assemble normally on a Sunday, depends on what church you go to. But they assembled on, a, on the Sabbath. They got together to read scriptures and to be taught on Sabbath, on, on a Saturday. 
And, and they may get together more than that, but they got together. And so he says, listen, you know what assembling, when, they, when he said don't forsake assembling like some have, he says, you, you know what I'm talking about. All right, you're Jews. Remember, he's, he's writing to the Jews here. But they're believers that are Jews. You know what I'm talking about. You've, you're used to getting together. As a matter of fact, they'd have, that at some points, they'd have church meetings in the synagogues. They would, they would go in and Paul would spend time and Peter would spend time in the synagogues preaching and teaching in the synagogues. But he says, you know what this is about. Okay, I want you to not forsake, even though you're going through persecution, and even though you have a good reason why you don't come together, you, you could, well, you, listen, what if we get caught? What if somebody says something? He says, no, 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 you still need to get together. Now, I think it's interesting that right before this, what does he say? Spur each other on to, to good works, to the Father's work. He says that, and he says, so don't forsake assembling together. You know, today, I think we, if we do spur each other along uh, with good works, it's because we posted something on Facebook. Oh, I said, you know, I, I texted them. There's nothing wrong with communicating with somebody through text messages or social media. But the thing is, we are doing, many, many people in America are doing exactly what Paul tells them not to do. Don't forsake meeting together. See, that we could find you know, a million reasons why he would want us to do this. One is to spur each other along with good works, right? Others is because when you're going through bad times, it's a great place to be among other people. Uh, You know, having somebody lay hands on you and pray for you and being among your church family is a great place to be. Uh, To learn and to study and to dig in and get deeper and find out those things. Did you know that in the United States, I think it was Barna who did did research on this and found out that a person... Who a, a, a person who goes to church, he says, how many, the, the, the question is, how often do you go to church to be a regular attender of church? And the answer that they got back was five, uh, every one, once every five to six Sundays. So once every month and a half, I'm considered a regular attender to church, okay? Now I know that we meet here at least three times a week. And maybe we can't, you know, you, you have jobs, you have other things, and, and so maybe you can't meet every time. But once every five to six Sundays, I think this goes to what Paul said. Don't forsake assembling together. They were, they were used to assembling together at least once a week. He said, don't stop doing this. You know, I, I have a friend, in, and uh, she went to church. She grew up in church. She got married. She had a couple of kids. And at one point, they, they missed church on a Sunday. And they missed a second Sunday, and then they missed a third Sunday, and then they missed a fourth Sunday. And she said it was eight years before we went back to church. No intention of not going back to church. It's just one thing led to another, to another. Before you know it, it was eight years. They were out of church. You go, well, how how can you do that? It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. One Sunday's off, second Sunday's off, third Sunday's off. Before you know it, can you even get back to church? Can you even make it back to church? It can be difficult a meeting together because we have things. We live in a very busy society. There's always something to do, believe me. I'm sure I could have found something to do this morning. I had tons of things to do at the house this morning. You know, I could have stayed home. You could have stayed home. You could have done something else, right? You know, you say, there's things that we could do. But the question is, where's our heart? He says, spur each other on to love and good works. 
and, and he says, don't forsake us meeting together, assembling together. He says, hold f- firm to the faith. Well, at the end of him telling us, hold firmly to the faith and, and spur each other love and good works, he says, we want to meet together. He says, let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approach. He's saying, hey, let's encourage each other. Let's talk about this faith that I just said. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the good works. Let's talk about what we're doing for Christ, okay? Going to church isn't just about the preacher getting up and preaching. Going to church isn't just about singing a song. Going to church is about exhorting, about encouraging, about lifting up, about, uh, about challenging each other. You know, best way to, to go work out uh, is, and be effective is to have somebody there with you, whether it's a coach or a partner that's working out and lifting weights with you. If you want to get strong, that's the best way. Can you do it by yourself? Yeah, you can. Some people can do it. But the best way is to have somebody. Why? Because you're challenged by them. You're challenged to, to do better. And it's the same way in the church. We're challenged by each other. So we need to, to make that a point in our lives. And when, when somebody says, oh, well, you know, I'll just stay home and watch the preacher on television. Well, if they're watching a preacher on television, how are they here or whatever the church they go to? How, how, how are they getting, how are somebody exhorting them? How are they being challenged? How are they being encouraged? You know, the thing is, it's the closer, he says, the closer the day's approaching. The, the persecution that comes shouldn't keep us away. Instead, it should push us together. It should cause us to draw closer together. And we see that in other countries. The persecution pushes the church together. They get closer. They get tighter. They trust and rely on each other because they don't have anybody else to trust and rely in but each other. All right. uh, Hebrews verses 26 through 31 is our next scriptures here. It says, for if we willfully, now we're going to switch a little bit. So he encouraged us all to be in church. He encouraged us all to challenge each other and, and be there for each other. Now, you say, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Yes, we're talking about living for Jesus right now, okay? We're talking about living. This whole script, this whole Hebrews is about Jesus and us walking with him, okay? That's what Hebrews is about. He says, for if we willfully continue to sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversary. So let's pause here a second. So what is he saying here? He says, if we willfully continue to sin. See, we, we all fall short of God's glorious standards, okay? If you think that you, that you are perfect, you, you know, you need, a, you need a reality check. None of us are perfect. The preacher's not perfect. None of us are perfect. And he says, but he says, if you willfully, not if you, well, you know, I tripped up over here. But if you willfully sin, if you're willfully living in sin and you're not willing to turn away from that sin, if you're, if you're a person who just lies and lies and lies and lies and lies or gossips and gossips and gossips and you're not willing to check yourself and you're not willing to let somebody else talk to you and say, hey, you need to stop this. You need to, you need to work on this. Remember, I'm going to spur you on to good works. That's what I'm going to do, love and good works. If you're not, if you're not willing to change, that's, co- that's called willful sin, okay? We're going to make mistakes. But he says... If we willfully sin, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What he says is that the, the sacrifice that Jesus, that Jesus did on the cross no longer applies. Okay? No longer applies. What, 
The sacrifice on the cross requires a repentant heart. Somebody says, well, if I make a mistake, I mess up, what does that mean? Is your heart repentant? Meaning, are, do you have a heart that cares when you make a mistake? Do you have a heart that cares when you mess up? When you did something wrong, do you care? Do you go, oh, God, I didn't want to do that. God, I, I can't believe I just did that. Hey, we all trip up. We all make mistakes. But we have to have a repentant heart, a heart that is constantly in, in repentance, constantly understanding that we are imperfect, but we're going to work toward, and we're going to work out our salvation, as the Scripture says. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's a Scripture there. We're going to work that out because if we don't, if we are willfully sinning and we don't have a repentant heart, but, oh, I went to church one day and, and I said a prayer, so therefore I'm saved. See, that is totally false because he says if you continue to sin like this, then there's no sacrifice for the sins, but instead an expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And he says, anyone who despises Moses' law, continue on to the next scripture there, uh, died without mercy in the presence of two or three witnesses. How much more severe a punishment do you suppose he deserves who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded the blood of the covenant that sanctified him to be a common thing and has insulted the spirit of grace? So if you continue to willfully sin and you say, no, I'm a Christian, no, I'm gonna sin. No, I'm a Christian, but I'm gonna live in sin. I'm a Christian, but I can do whatever I want to. You know, it's that, that hyper grace we hear about. Maybe you don't haven't heard the term, but hyper grace, that means that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm saved. I've got grace, grace, you know, sweet grace on me. No, no, no. He says, if you're willfully doing it, there is no grace for you. There's only destruction. There's only destruction. He said, if, if people who despised Moses' law died without mercy, how much more those who trample the Son of God underneath their feet? How much more? See, we should have a righteous fear of the Lord. It's not that we walk around in fear, but a righteous fear is the same way, right? Dads, there's probably, if, if you've ever been a person who spanked your children, there is a fear to do right. Now, you, they, hopefully you, you weren't mean, but you were just a disciplinarian, right? And there's a fear to do right when dad walks around. Why? Because, ooh, I don't want to get spanking. There's a fear in that voice when that voice says, don't do that again. Don't do that again. Why? Because we know that there is discipline. And so we, there should be a fearful, a righteous fear in us, a fear of God that not, not that he is up there to club us with a, with a baseball bat, okay? But that if we're going to trample on his son, if we're going to trample on his son, it's what it said. Here it said he was, um, how much more severe a punishment we deserve if we trample the Son of God underneath our feet, if we claim his grace but trample him underneath our feet. Oh, I claim your grace, Jesus. I claim your blood, but I'm going to walk all over the top of you because I just don't really care. I'm going to walk all over it because I don't really care. And we move on to the next verse. For we know him who said, this is talking about God, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What's he saying here? We want to fall into the arms of the living God, not the hands. 
all right? We don't want to fall into the hands of a living God. He has power. He can destroy universes. He can create universes. He can save you, and he can condemn you to hell, right? He has the, he has the power to do anything, and we want the positive parts of that power, right, in our lives. We want to walk in that. We want to walk in that peace, and we want to walk in that salvation. We want to walk in that love, and we want to walk in that care that he has for us. That's what we want to do. But when we trample on the Son of God, he says, this is the same God that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and the Lord will judge his people. We want to live our life out. Verses 32 through 39. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? So here he's going back. Remember he said, hold fast to your faith. Spur each other along. Don't forsake meeting together. Continue to do that no matter how difficult it may seem. And then he jumps in the middle of it and he says, but you better be living your life right. You better be living a life that is righteously fearful because you want to live a righteous life before the Lord. So don't be sinning willfully. And then he comes back, he says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. He says, I'm not giving you an excuse. When you first came to Christ, remember the first time you came to Christ? Think about it. Think back there. When you first came to Christ, you had a zeal. You had a desire to serve the Lord. You had a love for God that was unmatched. You're like, I'm excited. We always say the best thing, best way to get people to come to church is get a, a new Christian to go out and talk to them about Jesus. Why? Because you got a zeal and an excitement. He says, so when you first came to Christ, you didn't care that you were suffering. You didn't care what happened to you because you had that excitement. He says, now don't change that. Because, because things are getting a little bit difficult, don't change Don't back away. Don't start sinning. Oh, man, it's so hard. I just have to. You know, people, listen, we have it difficult in the the U.S. We have every excuse under the book to do everything we shouldn't do, right? Look at things we shouldn't look at. Listen to things we shouldn't listen to. Go and do things we shouldn't. I I remember, I've told this story before, back when I was Ubering a little over a year ago or a year and a half ago, that I Ubered somebody out to this Visions place out here. You know, I don't have a, when, when you're Ubering, you don't have a thing that tells you where you're going until you pick them up, so you don't really have a big choice in it. But I picked them up in Benton and Ubered them out here to this the, to Visions, and everybody knows Visions is not a place that people need to be going into. Um, I go out there, I pull up, I'm going to drop them off. The guy says, why don't you come on in? We're hanging. Oh, no, I'm fine. I, I wasn't going to preach to him. I was like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm not worried about it. No, no, come on in. I said, no, no. He says, listen, if you'll just come in the door. Now, this is just a patron. If you just come in the door and you just tell the lady in the door inside that you are an Uber driver, you'll get a $10 tip. They'll give you $10. I was like, I'm good. He goes, no, man. He said, just come on in. You can. You, you, can. you can tell her I, I'm telling the truth. I was like, no. He says, well, why don't you come in? I'll take the $10. He starts getting aggravated with me. I says, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate that. See, there was an easy excuse right there, right? I could say, oh, well, they said I could just come in the door, and I didn't know that you could see through 
or whatever the excuse would be, right? Oh, I was just in there picking up $10. There's a, we can get excuses. If you want an excuse, I'm sure you could just type in, what, type in on Google. What excuse do you have for me if I want to do this? And I'm sure they can come up with a good excuse for you, right? Those, there's excuses that abound. We have the ability to, to live and to be around sinful stuff all the time and participate in it if we are not careful. But he says, I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care about how terrible it gets. Remember when you first came to Christ, you didn't suffer from this. You didn't, you, you wanted to live your a righteous life. You wanted to be around other Christians. You wanted to, to spur each other on. You wanted to do these things. He says, but now that, now that things are getting hard, remember that when you first came to Christ, the way you were. We need to remember that. Think back when you first came to Christ. Remember that. Next verse says, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. You were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same way. When you first came to Christ, you were okay with that. Can you think about when you first came to Christ who you wanted to tell that to about what God had done in your life? Are you willing to tell them today even though that you may be ridiculed or looked at or, or looked down upon? Or is it the same way? We need that in our life. You suffered along, next verse, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when that means that they were thrown into jail too. And when all you own was taken away from you, everything that you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't we live in a different life if we're like, oh, man, I'm getting persecuted. Uh, count it all joy. Isn't that what the Scripture tells? Count it all joy. Oh, man, hallelujah. Somebody's, somebody's talking bad about me. Well, I need it at work. Somebody just said something I didn't want to hear. You know, I'm just going to count that all joy. I'm going to be like, ooh, hallelujah. Somebody's getting the message, right? As we've talked about on Wednesday nights many times, I put a pebble in somebody's shoe because, boy, it's aggravating them right now, right? That, that's the way we want to live. That's the way we want to be for Christ is that we count it all joy when we go through these things, not an excuse to complain, whine, gripe, or to go do things we shouldn't do, not an excuse to pull ourselves away from the church, but instead it should be an excuse to come to church and say, hey, you wouldn't believe what happened to me this week. I was, somebody at my job, somebody at the school, Sherelle, somebody at the school looked at me and said, oh my goodness, that girl over there, you know, she's a Christian, and, and, and I'm a Christian too, but she actually, she doesn't cuss, and she doesn't talk nasty, and she doesn't talk bad, and, and she's weird. And, she, and then Sherelle comes to church and say, hey, somebody said I was weird because I'm living for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You know, that's what we want. That's the way we need to live. We should count it all joy. He says, when you were even thrown into jail and you had everything taken away from you, you were happy about it. Why? Because what they lived was in Jesus, not in themselves. And they knew that they had great other believers. Let me tell you a story here. You have probably heard, well, I don't know if you've probably heard. If you haven't heard, you're going to hear this morning. There's a seven-year-old boy in Texas. His mother is a pediatrician. And uh, his dad, I don't know what his dad does, but uh, his, his, his dad and his mother, they have now gotten divorced, custody battle going on in the courts. In the courts, the courts have said, you know what? The mother, the pediatrician, gets all the rights to make all the decisions for this child, medical decisions especially. Why is this important? Because this mother wants to take her seven-year-old son who has a twin and wants to transition him to a girl. And I'm not talking about just wearing, wearing clothes. I'm talking about giving him medicine to 
to uh, stunt his growth in the area uh, of being a man and, and to, to stop all that and do everything in her power to make him be, act, and sound like a girl. Even though we know this is against God, this is, this is child abuse, plain and simple. But the uh, 11 out of 12 jurors in Dallas County, Texas, ruled that the mother should have 100% rights for all medical decisions for this child. 100% rights over all medical decisions, and the dad has zero rights. Well, I praise God that the, the attorney general of the, of the state has gotten involved. The governor of the state has got involved. And so there's a little bit of flexibility in it now. But now the judge has come out and put a gag order and said that the father cannot talk to anybody about this case. The father can't talk to anybody. So I'm telling you that, number one, I just want to say beware, everybody. Beware. This is not, this is not California. This is not New York, okay? This is not, this is not uh, Vermont. It's not one of those bastions of socialism up there, okay? This is Dallas County, Texas, and this is happening. But here, here's the bigger deal. Uh, she started doing this when he was two. He's seven now. She started doing this when he was two, and at five years old, she has a party for him, a birthday. It's supposed to be a birthday party for him. But when everybody from the church came over, from the church that this guy goes to, he's, he's an Orthodox Christian, um, when um, everybody came over to the party, she brought the son out with his nails all polished, with a, with a skirt and a dress on, with his hair all done up, and all of this, right? Now, here's the deal. The Scripture says that we're supposed to meet together, we're supposed to spur each other on, we're supposed to be there for each other, we're supposed to hold on to each other, we're supposed to be the church together. That's what's important about this church. When people walk in, what we are compared to any other church doesn't matter. What we are is that we love and care for each other individually, period, and we talked about that this morning in our class, that you come in here and you're living a way that you're not supposed to. That doesn't mean that we reject you. We love you, and we want to spur you on to the right things. Well, this, 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 this guy, he, his church was there when this happened. Not one person spoke up. Not one person came to his defense. And to this day, nobody has backed him up from his church. That's not what Paul was talking about here. When he says meeting together, that church is just meeting. They're just meeting. They're not backing each other up. They don't have each other's back. They're not, they're not working with each other. They're not helping each other out. They're just meeting. And when this dad needs help more than any other time, he's got zero coming from his church. And all I can pray is that he, he, in this process, maybe he'll find a church that will get behind him and that will encourage him and that will pray. Now, he's got a lot of people praying for him. A lot of people across, this, across the nation is praying for him. And I encourage you to pray for him and pray for this boy. His name is J, uh, James. He's got a twin brother named Jude. His mom's not transitioning him, just James, okay? And we know that this is difficult for twins. Twins have a bond that... Um, other people don't have. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting uh, thing that goes on there. So we need to be praying for, for little James. Can't remember the dad's name off the top of my head. I can get it to you after service is over with. 
But this is going on in the United States of America. So he says, as the day is approaching, you need to continue to meet together. Now, understand the Christian church that day, too, was not only just meeting once a week. The Bible says after the day of Pentecost happened that they were meeting daily in the houses, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. That's another way you get people saved is by being around saved people. You know, there's this teaching out there today, well, the best way to get people saved is to hang out with non-Christians. I say the best way to get people saved is hang out with a group of believers, and everybody goes, man, that, that group over there, what's, a, what's so, why are they having so much fun all the time? They're always helping people together. It's not just one person helping. It's a group of people helping. They're, they're, they help their neighbor. They help this person, that person. What is up with that group? And then they begin to talk, and they begin to see the joy, and they begin to see the excitement about what God's done in our lives, what Jesus has done in our lives. They go, maybe I want to be a little part of that. Why do, we, why do we talk about our women's ministry so much? It's a great place for the group to meet together and for other women to come and go, wait, maybe I want to be a part of this thing called Christianity. Maybe I want to be a part of this group and then eventually be a part of the church. And we saw that with our women's conference just a couple of weeks ago where the women, in the, they're like, oh, I wish I had this. I wish I was in a church like this. I can't at this time go to a church like this because my husband or whatever the situation. But they saw it and they desired it and they wanted it. And that's what we want to be. That's, what we want, that's why we want to be together. We are stronger in numbers. You put yourself out there, just yourself, amongst a bunch of, uh, of, of crazy sinners out there, crazy people who don't live for the Lord, you, you got to be careful. Hey, I'm not a person who cusses. I worked, I worked uh, in, in a field that everybody cussed for a long time. Uh, um, just like Jason, the field that Jason works in, I'm sure everybody out there, you know, they're, they're, it, when you get out working with these, these, these people who work on, you know, construction and cars and all that, man, they don't have a filter. I had a guy who come in. He's a great guy, man, great guy, the F word. Every, literally every other word was the F word. The guy didn't know how to use, I mean, it was like, Hello, you know, I mean, literally every other word was the F word. He was not one of the nicest guys you ever meet, too. Smart, intelligent, worked on diesels. Um, but I was talking one day, and you, you, you're around this all the time to the point that I was talking one, one day with s- some of the guys, and I went to say something that somebody else had said, and I stopped, boy, I stopped myself at the last second. But you're just repeating something, not thinking about it. And in what I was repeating was, was what we would consider, you know, a curse word or nasty language, you know. And I went, and everybody goes, oh, you almost. I says, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, though. I didn't say that. But see, the, when, we're, when we are constantly hanging out with people that are not Jesus people, we have to be careful because we can get sucked into what they're doing, and we can begin to compromise a little bit of what they're doing. But when we're hanging out with Jesus people all the time, we have, we, have, uh, uh, we have people that are pushing us. We have people that are behind us, people that are not just going to just let us do whatever we want to. We have a word that a lot of us don't like nowadays. It's called accountability, right? It's a, we're accountable to those people. When we're not in church, they know we're not there. When, when we're doing something, we go, wait a minute, what is somebody else, what is this other person, what is my friend at church going to think if they learned that I did this right here or I said this? You know, that's accountability. I know we have accountability with the Lord, but man, this, this, this one-on-one accountability is great. And we need that. So he says, after he, he says, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. You accept it with joy because you, know you know what's waiting for you. We'll talk about inheritance on a, on a different Sunday. He said, 
So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. He's going back to what he just said up there. Don't throw away your faith. Don't stop believing in what you've already. So don't throw away the confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. There's a reward for that. Patience, endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised, right? How many of you prayed, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now? You know, we need patience. We need patience. We want God to give us patience. We need to pray for it. We need to ask for it and have endurance in what is hard, in what is difficult. Living the Christian life is not easy. You don't get your best life now. You get your best life later, okay? You can live a fulfilled life now because you're in Christ Jesus, but your best life is to come. That's what he said in that verse before, for better things are waiting for you that will last forever. So don't put away that confident uh, trust in the Lord. Have patient endurance, He says, you need to have that. Listen, the the scripture constantly refers to our Christian walk. It's it's not a race that is won at 100 meters. It's not won at 200 meters, okay? This race doesn't end until you die. But at the end, you can say, pace yourself a little bit. Have endurance. Know that things are going to hit you from side to side, going to bounce you around a little bit. We know we've had some people lose jobs here lately. And it bounces around a little bit. Or you have a child that does something they're not supposed to. Bounces you around a little bit. But you know what? You keep on running that race. You run the race. I mean, I've I've seen some of these people who run those 24-hour, 48-hour races, these crazy races. And they run through the rain. They have to just continue to run and run and run and run and run. But the thing is, if they ran as hard as they could from the start, they would wear out. But instead, they pace themselves and they say, I've got to endure through this. And sometimes when you're going through a rough time, you just need to say to yourself, I just, listen, if I can just endure this tough time, I know that on the other side, things are going to be okay. And if at minimum, when I get to heaven, it's all going to be great. It's all going to be awesome. He says, you will receive what is promised, what has been promised to you if you will have that endurance. He says, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming back. He said, well, man, this was written thousands of years ago. Yes, but Jesus is coming back. And if we will be patient, he will come back and he will not delay. He says, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. So you don't want to turn away. He doesn't take pleasure in people who walk away from him. He takes pleasure in those who endure until the end. That is where your reward is, that you endure to the end by having faith in Jesus Christ in him alone. And then last verse there, but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Now notice what he did. He talked about everything that you could do wrong, but he came back to him and says, but I know we are not like that. I know that we, see, sometimes that's all we need is encouragement. You see somebody tripping up, you see somebody that you're supposed to spur along, don't go to them and say, listen, you're going to go to hell if you keep on living this way. Instead, say, listen, I know that we can do this together. We can finish this race together. We can see God do great things together. Let's work together as one body of believers. That, that is why we are the church of Jesus Christ. That's what uh, the scripture refers to, his church, the bride of Christ. That is the church of Christ. That is us this day. We have that ability to stand in there and live for the Lord and encourage each other. And that's what I say today. 
I'm not here to beat you over the head and say, hey, why didn't you come to church last Sunday? I'm here to say, let's encourage each other. Let's say, hey, we have these opportunities to meet together and to be together and to love each other and to encourage each other. Let's do that. Let's challenge each other. Let's understand that what we see today is such a small glimpse of what the future is like, what eternity is like. You know, if you get to live to be 80 years old, that's just a small portion of time in compared to what eternity will be like with Christ Jesus, what eternity will be like in heaven, okay? So let's spur each other along today. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to give you glory and honor and praise this morning for what a great God you are.